Contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. In times of spiritual and moral chaos, it can be hard to discern truth from error and to apply it to all of life. God's word is not silent, and we don't have to be either. This is Once for All Delivered with Caleb Castro and Andrew Smith. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. This is the Once for All Delivered podcast, a podcast that, despite public perception, still exists. (laughs) That's right. We are back by unpopular demand and uh yes uh, the minority has won out those whoever they are that wanted us to continue recording the the few the proud the <laughs> the brave the loyal the marines the marines they're all marines yes no we are back um and it's not because of any kind of really weird thing uh but it's been a while um it's been a while andrew since i've last saw you been a while yeah um yeah, it's just uh, we didn't really plan on uh, being gone as long as we were. We've, uh, you know, always thought that we would be right back to it. We've just kind of had a strange season of life and ministry and all the things that go with that that has providentially hindered us from being able to put out shows for quite a while. I think that what didn't start with... I had, uh, you know, our church classes meeting, uh, and then I think you yep. had presbytery, which I also went to. That's right, and we didn't even as a fraternal together. delegate. Yeah, we were together in the flesh for a couple <laughs> days and didn't even do anything. That's right, but that's okay. And then, yeah, I had my presbytery. So sorry with that. We're gonna take a few weeks off for classes and presbytery, yeah. and then we both had vacations, yeah. Vacation and then we've back. had uh, some things in our churches. So like. Uh, in my current situation, I'm I'm pastoring Westminster Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Hamill, South Dakota. Come see us if you have a chance. But um, I've also, on an interim basis, been uh, preaching and helping out the Winter Orthodox Presbyterian Church, which is near us, because uh, they're currently without a pastor. And so uh, I've had some busy stuff with that. There's been a, a couple of congregants in those churches who've entered into their heavenly rest and so there's been funerals and all the things that go with that and uh, also just recently had about a food poisoning so that was fun too so it's just been you know kind of a nothing particular that has kept us away but just a lot of little life and ministry yes. things yeah. and but now we're back and we're planning on staying back part of how we're planning on staying back is we are making some changes to the show Not really huge changes, it's just more changes of we're going back to the way things used to be. Uh, So we're actually going all the way back to Bobcast. No, just kidding. But um, (laughs) We're reverting the name, re-rebranding or unbranding. We're we're bringing Mark back. (laughs) Just kidding. Although we may have Mark back at some point. Uh, That's funny. We love you, Mark. (laughs) We're just going back to April 2020. We're going back into COVID quarantine. <laughs> Although some people seem to want to do that now. So yeah, that's no. that's coming back in style as much as it could. Yeah, no. Um, <laughs> but no. Anyway, uh, so what we are doing, though, is uh, you'll notice it, it, on this episode, you can't see us. We're not doing video. We're not doing live stream. 
you know, we've been doing that these in recent months, and it was kind of fun, and we learned a lot, but it hasn't really caught on. Um, you know, we could see by our stats how how much traffic that gets versus the traditional audio podcast feed, and the vast majority of our listeners and traffic still get us via audio podcast, and it's also just makes it easier for us with life and ministry to not have to produce on a set schedule where we're doing live streams. And so we're basically, we're going back to an audio podcast. I think we'll still try to keep posting our episodes to YouTube. So those of you who follow and listen there will still find us there. But for now, we're not going to do live and we're not going to do video. We're just going to go back to doing the show like we used to where we uh, record it and release it. That also means, uh, my wife Heidi will be back helping us with, uh, editing and production stuff. So when we apologize to her now, we actually mean it. Not that we didn't will... mean it before. <laughs> right. It's just, she, she will yeah. be the one that actually has to clean up the messes we make. Again. So, um, of course for me, I mean, she literally cleans up the messes I make because, you know, she's my wife and, lives in my house <laughs> has to put up with you yeah she made so anyway yeah and i mean in, in this way it also our faces likely had a lot to do with uh you know video not catching on so it's yeah just, uh, who wants to see us that's right that's uh something that we'll be sparing uh everybody from from now on again but yeah so you're not here to ram to hear us rambling about this but it's uh we have actual stuff Actual stuff. Yeah, we'll be talking about um, actual things. And uh, as you, like we already saw in, in clicking this episode, we are uh, we thought we would kind of ease back into uh, into things by starting off with the return to our, uh, to the catechism uh, comparisons here. Which now brings us to essentially a series within a series, <laughs> because as we are doing our look at the catechisms, the Westminster and the Heidelberg side by side. We've been following the order and structure of the Heidelberg, and so we have reached the point in the Heidelberg where it does something unique and lengthy that the Westminster doesn't, at least not explicitly, which is to go into an exposition of the Apostles' Creed. So we basically now are coming to a series within a series where we are going to spend the next several installments talking about the articles of faith in the Apostles' Creed. In some regards, it's mostly from this point on, I mean, there's going to be a couple little breaks there after the Apostles' Creed, but uh, it'll start to have, you know, a couple other little series within a series because... Uh, a good bulk of the catechism is, you know, on the Apostles' Creed, and then uh, it'll go into later on uh, the the Ten Commandments and then the Lord's Prayer. So uh, it'll do some expositions of that, though themselves not creeds. There are very particular structures that it's looking at uh, following. After talking about in, in section one of the Heidelberg Catechism about our man's problem, of sin and misery, which alienates us from God, uh, it con- eternally condemns us uh, that He is entirely justified in doing so. It talks about in this second uh, area here in the second section about how we are delivered from our sin and misery. It talks about how God has to save us, uh, that He provides a mediator who is true man, true God, that is uh, the only 
a one and only mediator and savior, Jesus Christ. And then it tells us how we have to uh, place our faith in him, that we have to believe in him for salvation. All who believe in him are saved. So Lord's Day 7 gives a definition of faith, of what it is. It's both a knowledge and a general joy, but it is a wholehearted trust. It is an assent that latches on to Christ that's sovereignly ordered. It's, it's sovereignly initiated and worked through man. So it tells us faith is necessary. And then it starts to go on and saying, well, okay, well, what is the content of that faith? If I have to have faith, what exactly do I have to have faith in? And that's what brings us to the Apostles' Creed now. What is it that a Christian has to believe? And if you're in a Orthodox confessional church or something of the sort, uh, you and your worship services might sometimes, or you might hear someone ask, uh, you know, or the minister asks, you know, Christian, what is it you must believe? And then the response is the article to the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth, and so on. Yep. Yep. Which is actually the next question in the Heidelberg uh, that we didn't treat when we treated Lord's Day 7 is uh, question 23, which says, what are these articles? Which is the explanation of question 22. And there it states in its entirety... The Apostles' Creed. Right. And that's that's largely why we didn't, you know, go through it at that time. So a good bit of the question and answer is reading the Apostles' Creed. And uh, yeah. that and we'd be taking it up right here. What this actually starts with, though, in the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 8, it doesn't actually jump right into the beginning of the Apostles' Creed. I should back up a little bit. Lord's Day 7, in some parts, is already beginning the Apostles' Creed, um, if we think about what the Apostles' Creed does, a creed uh, from the Latin word credo, uh, which literally just means I believe, it is a confession meant to be, in this way, a personal confession. You know, when, when, when a new believer in the early church was being catechized and then baptized, they would be instructed on the Apostles' Creed and the meanings of it. At the time of baptism, they'd be asked, what do you believe? And they would have to recite the Apostles' Creed. So it's one of the first things that a, a Christian is to know, that is, is to learn in being in the church. Even to this day, uh, little children in Reformed Presbyterian churches and, and other um, older uh, traditions learn the Apostles' Creed early in life. It's a personal profession of faith on one end. It says, I believe... In God the Father, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe the Holy Spirit. But then, it's also corporate. It's it's an ecumenical creed. All true churches, or I should at least say, all professing Christian churches hold to the Apostles' Creed to be regarded as a Christian, even in the slightest sense. In other words, to distinguish us from, say the uh, Muslims or the Mormons, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the cults, and the various other other areas that might be similar in terms of, say, the Abrahamic religion, so-called. You know, we're not Jews. We're not Muslims. We reject the error of the, uh, say, Oneness Pentecostals who believe in no trinity, so on and so forth. We'll get into this, but it's a corporate confession of the church. This is what a Christian must believe. Now, we're going to be getting into the particulars over uh, as we go throughout this 
series, and we'll, we'll get a little bit into what those particulars look like in a moment uh, when we talk about Caspar Livianus, one of the authors of the Catechism. But here, basically, as I was saying, Lord's Day 7 somewhat already starts the creed. That it, It's Lord's Day 7 in asking what is true faith is asking what do the words I believe mean. So it's it's in a part already looking at the Apostles' Creed. So it has that in mind, and that's why it then goes into it with Lord's Day 8. Right. I think just in looking at that, though, the way that Lord 7 brings us to the Creed, this is a reminder that faith has content. Mm -hmm. We live in a day where, I mean, probably most people, if you ask them, they would say that they are people of faith or have faith in something. But then if you pry any deeper than that, you find not very much there. Like a lot of people... They say, well, you just got to have faith. I think we made some jokes about George Michael in our last episode on this. I would uh, and we not at all doubt that. And uh, we definitely don't need to do that again. We're we're also not going to have any jokes about a uh, about the Christian rock band Creed from the early 2000s either in this episode. We're not going to have one single one. Unless we do. Um, but anyway... Uh, yeah, so faith has content. It's not mere just faith in something, or if you believe in something, then you'll be okay. As uh, long as you have some kind of faith, then that's enough to save. You know, it's particular faith with particular content. Summarized, although not fully comprehended and entirely comprehended in this creed. Because that's another issue you can see as we start to look at creeds, is there's a lot of... Uh, well, to be frank, liberals and heretics and things of the like, they'll say, well, I believe in the Apostles' Creed or I believe in the Nicene Creed, so you can't call me a heretic or whatever. It's like, well, if you deny or disbelieve something in this creed, yes, this makes you a heretic, but it's not the only possible thing that could make you a heretic. If that really were that definitional to the Christian faith, then this whole series we've been doing is pointless because we wouldn't need other confessions or catechisms or further expositions and explanations of the faith. Yes, this is a summary of the faith, but it is not the entirety of the faith here and presented either. So just a couple of mistakes, a couple of ditches we have to avoid as we uh, begin to look at the creed. Yeah, and that, that brings up a, a good point too, Andrew. You know, the, the reason why these even came about, right? Which we've, we've spoken about, I believe, at the beginning of the series, that the, the creeds and the confessions arise in the, the present tense. I mean, uh, so they, they, they arose in response to uh, heresies. They arise as, here's what a group of churchmen, whether it was, you know, throughout ancient Europe and the Mediterranean uh, into Eastern Europe and in Asia Minor, uh, so on and so forth. Uh, here's what the consensus is, according to scripture, of what scripture teaches about the faith. Or in, say, national or international, other international contexts, like the Kansas Dort, uh, the, the Westminster mm -hmm. Assembly. They come up as responses to errors in the church. So that, that ends up having to be taken into big consideration. When you have certain liberals, uh, say, especially in the 19th century, early 20th century, those who were, you know, rejecting the incarnation of Christ, the virgin birth, I mean, they were essentially just recapitulating the most ancient of heresies and errors 
uh, that the creed already addresses. But they, they turn the creed, the, if, if they say that they hold to the creed, they'll turn it into um, more of like a, well, I hold to it in terms of a historic as a historic expression of the faith or in scripture, but they're, they're talking about basically they can take it or leave it in what it particularly means. They just acknowledge it as something that's been held onto and generally beneficial throughout history. A lot of this ends up having to come down to what is it that we actually believe um, of that scripture's teaching. Here's what the catechism is interested in. So I was reading an article a couple days ago on a certain ministers in a mainline denomination, his response or thoughts on uh, the Christian Reformed Church's Synod 2022, where they appealed to um, the Heidelberg Catechism uh, in its exposition of the uh, Seventh Commandment on committing adultery. As its question and answer were appealed to as a confessional basis to reject homosexuality and homosexual marriages and so on um this mainline minister basically said hey you can't appeal to the heidelberg catechism to make a dogma or to to make a church pronouncement uh this is not allowed because the catechism is not a confession the catechism has been called a doctrinal standard but it's not uh, meant to teach fixed points of doctrine it's just supposed to be a teaching tool its whole point is only instruction. It has some things that are wrong. It can be taken and applied as you want. But clearly, here's the point here. When we're looking at something like Lord's Day 8, like Andrew said, it's teaching what is the content of faith. And again, later on, it's teaching, well, then what does faith do with all this stuff? Will you repent, believe, and obey? How does how does faith grow? Oh, the means of grace. Uh, what does obedience look like? Oh, here's the Ten Commandments. What does truth look like in the life of a Christian? Well, here's the Lord's Prayer. So it has content of faith in mind, and perhaps at the core and heart of, say, the Heidelberg in this way, is the Apostles' Creed. When looking at the Westminster Catechism here, though, um, you know, it, it starts pretty early. It goes from the centrality of Scripture in the Word and then to what that Word reveals. So already early on, even the Westminster Larger Catechism and the Shorter Catechism are, are concerned with teaching, not just, oh, in general about the faith. It's interested in teaching about who God is and what he does. Right. Although there is not an explicit exposition of the creed in the Westminster as there is in the Heidelberg, the content of it is all there. It's kind of maybe moved around in some different orders in different places. Uh, so looking at the Larger Catechism after the first five questions, which deal with, you know, the chief end of man and then the scriptures, it moves on into the doctrine of God. And then you see it starting to uh, look at the very same sort of things that the Apostles' Creed does as well. So starting question seven, you have what is God? And then you get into the doctrine of the Trinity. Are there more gods than one? How many persons are there in the Godhead? Um, get into their properties. And then after that, you get into the decrees of God, which are creation and providence, which similarly the Heidelberg treats under the second article uh, of the creed, creator of heaven and earth. Although, although it's not an explicit exposition of the creed, it has very similar interests and concerns. And obviously, being a later document, the 
Westminster Divines, they had the Heidelberg available to them at their disposal. And you can see at various times and places, they use what the Heidelberg did, and they even at times almost down to the word repeat what the heidelberg says but then other other places they decide to go their own way so um the influence is there even if not the explicit uh use or or structure so what we have here then is that faith has to have content that content is not just an intellectual properties it's not intellectual knowledge it's not a feeling it's not even a lifestyle exactly i mean it will be expressed in these things but faith has to have an object and then how do we know that object or how does that object make himself known so clearly you can see here the object really i mean Centrally, it is Jesus Christ through the Spirit by which the Father is revealed, right? The Father is revealed uh, through the Son, and this only comes through the illumination of the Holy Spirit sent by the Father and Son. But in terms of the creed and the Christian faith here, the creed is basically interested in stating who is God and what does he do in relation to his creation and covenant people, or simply who is God, what does he do? Uh, who is God and what are his divine acts? And in uh, question 24, we're just now getting there. Question 24 of the Heidelberg Catechism, it asks, how are the articles, the various statements of the creed, divided? And it says there's three parts. There's a tripartite structure in the Apostles' Creed that is divided according to the what we would call the economic trinity, according to the Trinitarian persons. And then what that Trinitarian persons say chief operation is. It's his chief work that we see revealed in scripture, uh, to put it in a, in a minor term. It's arranged according to the persons and work or operation of that person in question answer 24 so who is god and what does he do again keep in mind that structure well we're talking about the person the first is of god the father so who is god the father and what does he do creation who is uh god the son and what is his his operation if you will uh redemption the third uh god the holy spirit and our sanctification and this is putting it very broadly it'll get particular in a moment here throughout the next articles because as we go through this we start to see that other things get brought in underneath this and this is actually a very important structure not only for looking at the creed and looking at these catechisms but for looking at systematic theology as a whole because often many of the great works of systematic theology actually follow this very structure mm -hmm. so you think for instance of calvin's institutes basically began as a theological treatise following and expanding on and explaining the apostles creed so you look at the order of the books and how they treat things it follows this structure god the father his creation his rule his government over all things and then god the son and the economy of redemption and then of course you get to the final parts god the holy spirit uh, which actually comprehended under the doctrine of the holy spirit is often where you find teachings on the church, teachings on the civil government even, and things of that sort. 
and you know there's an additional point in that actually the where you you have at least in the heidelberg another macro structure with this that even the concept of putting it a little loosely here the first part of the heidelberg on sin and misery is largely it's in consideration of our separation and alienation from god the father of who we were made to be in fellowship with um who we cannot know ourselves without knowing god so it's following calvin there the second part of the catechism is largely in its center on jesus christ and the deliverance the redemption he brings and that also through his the means of grace in having faith in him and then the the third section is largely the fruits of faith that are affected by the holy spirit so even then, there's there's something of a macrocosm here of following the Apostles' Creed. Yeah. Uh, so again, very important, not just for uh, looking at the Creed itself. Most uh, systematic theology has followed this formula in some way. We're belaboring on this part because uh, I think it would be uh, helpful here to get a little bit of an insight into... Now, I'm speaking about, the, about this in terms of the Heidelberg Catechism a lot. It's not to the neglect of the Westminster, but here's why. So there's a book that was put out in uh, 2009, an exposition of the Apostles' Creed or the Articles of the Faith in which the main points of the gracious eternal covenant between God and believers are briefly and clearly treated. Uh, that is the title by Casper Olivianus, one of the committee members in the creation uh, and the writing of the Heidelberg Catechism. And this is kind of funny because actually... Uh, Andrew, that's the other part where what we were looking for earlier is in the title, in the uh, subtitle. Hear that again. This, this is what one of the authors of the Heidelberg Catechism thinks about the Apostles' Creed, what it is. It's the Articles of the Faith, okay, the content of faith, in which the main points of the gracious eternal covenant between God and believers are briefly and clearly treated. So he sees this as basically an exposition of... What, what what the Apostles' Creed is doing as an exposition of covenant theology itself. If you were to open up Olivianus's exposition of the Apostles' Creed, start on page 9 and then go on a little bit, you see some bolded uh, headers about, like, basically Olivianus telling us what he's going to be talking about in this introduction and then also in the Creed. So this this gives us a sample of what he's thinking here. The kingdom of Christ is offered to us in the articles of the faith and is experienced by believers even here in this life. This is his thesis of the Apostles' Creed. Uh, so he explains that in, in that uh, the first section. He says that the articles of faith contain a summary of the doctrine delivered by Christ the King to the Apostles. The kingdom of Christ and all of its privileges are offered and presented to all who repent and believe. So we're taught in the Creed how we can establish that we are true citizens of the kingdom of Christ. The next header says what the kingdom of Christ is in which the new covenant is administered. He talks about then basically salvation, gospel, baptism, so on. The workings through Jesus Christ. And then he, he goes and talks about page 12 of the next header. How Christ the King generates in the elect a desire to reconcile themselves to God. And how he preserves and increases in them the desire to hold on to their reconciliation. So he starts getting into some topics about sanctification, basically, or regeneration, and then also sanctification. But page 13, that next header, After Christ the King and priest of the church has generated in those whom he calls a desire to reconcile themselves to God, 
he also offers and gives them that reconciliation. Indeed, he does so in the form of a covenant whose summary is contained in the articles of the faith. So we get another insight then into how he's viewing the nature of the articles of the faith of the Apostles' Creed. He says at the end of that section, on page 14, the end of that paragraph, he says, It should be known that the articles of the faith contain a summary and, as it were, the heads of that covenant that exists between God and us through faith. So it's a pretty, very interesting and bold claim in stating that it is uh, the Apostles' Creed virtually teaches a covenantal theology. And it begins with God, his purpose of creation, the decrees, and then uh, salvation through Christ and how we are incorporated into the kingdom as a people of God. By the Holy Spirit. So, so you essentially then have redemption accomplished and then redemption applied, you know, redemption mm-hmm. accomplished by Christ and applied to us by the Holy Spirit, to use John Murray's terminology for it. And it is interesting because one of the, I guess, issues that often comes up when looking at the three forms of unity generally, the Heidelberg Catechism specifically, is that it is often said, well, they don't uh, set forth an explicit covenant theology. Uh, which, to a point, is kind of true. I mean, there's a lot of things that implicitly they speak about covenants, but it's not like the Westminster where there is clearly a structure of covenant of works, covenant of grace set up. But what's interesting is that when you look at Olivianus and he talks about the creed in, in this way, uh, it seems that for him, the two are one and the same. To talk about this creed, to talk about this uh, summary of God's creation and purposes in redemption of redemption accomplished and applied that is a covenant theology so basically this entire uh, exposition of the apostles creed is presenting a covenant theology even though it may not use some of the covenant terminology uh, that came to be known and popularized later and used for instance in the westminster standards uh, it's there and it's meant to be there and it's meant to be seen and viewed as such. It should be noted that Olivianus's specific role in this committee on the Heidelberg Catechism uh, actually was the form and structure itself of the Catechism. He's by and large the one who set up its its layout. So then in this way, we, we can say, yeah, he, he he's not just like, you know, this isn't just his only his thought in a sense, but it's the intent in what he was doing in what the uh, Catechism ended up looking like. It's his thought in terms of, you know, what the Apostles' Creed is doing, but in terms of then how the Heidelberg Catechism is presented, that's, it's Olivianus' hand. And so this, this whole idea, like we said earlier, is basically who is God and what does he do in his acts in creation and in relation to his creatures, in relation to his covenant people. It's also notable, too, that Olivianus does not merely treat this as a covenant in a vague sense, but he believes it is a particular covenant. And this is the final of these very explanatory section headings in the introduction to his exposition of the Apostles' Creed. It says, The covenant between God and us is a gracious one and exists only through faith. Through this faith, he renews us into his image after he has laid aside all memory of our sins. And so what you see here is the covenant that is in view is the covenant of grace. It is the covenant 
by which to use a Westminsterian term, uh, God in his voluntary divine condescension comes down to us and enters into a covenant with us, and this is done uh, through faith. And then you also see the purposes of this covenant being similar. So you like in the catechism, it's God, the Holy Spirit, and our sanctification. You know, Olivianus, he talks about this covenant existing through faith, and then through this faith, him renewing us into his image after he has laid aside all the memory of our sins. So there you have the deliverance, but then you also have in this renewal into the image, the sanctification. And then he goes on to describe how this covenant does not rest on any condition of our worthiness or merit, but how it is purely gracious. Um, so you, again, you see, although it's not explicitly in the catechism using these same terms as the covenant of grace, that's what it's talking about. Like they knew about it. That's what they were thinking about when they put it together. That's also a scene, um, I think in a couple episodes ago, maybe when we were talking about Jesus Christ as the true and righteous man and true God. Zacharias Ursinus, one of the other chief authors on the committee of the Heidelberg Catechism, we were reading some snippets from his own shorter and larger catechisms. And he had clear, explicit covenant theology question and answers as well in that cat in his at the very beginning right oh yeah like that was where he started yeah and so we remember that these guys even though this these are you know written in the 1560s you know this, this is fairly early on in the development of the language of covenant theology but it is very much uh what is in their mind as the nature of this ecumenical faith and so that was worth noting the the compendium, basically the Heidelberg Shorter Catechism that was put out in the 17th century. In question and answer 21, it asks, what is the one great confession of the Apostles' Creed? And the answer is, in the Apostles' Creed, we confess our faith in the one true God who exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So I, th- I thought that was just a great way to ask the question, though, what is the one great confession? Thank you for listening to this episode. For the latest news and updates, visit our substack at onceforalldelivered.com, where you can also support our work with a paid subscription. You can also follow us on social media at OFAD Podcast. If you like what you have heard, leave a five-star review where you get your podcasts and spread the word about the show. Once For All Delivered is hosted by Andrew Smith and Caleb Castro and produced by Andrew and Heidi Smith. A special thank you to our founding members, Eric and Kathy Hepker. We hope you will join us again next time on Once for All Delivered.